Hey ladies, welcome to the Woman Podcast. My name's Katie Beza and I'm your host. And this episode is a continuation of a teaching series that we have started this year in 2021. So our good friends Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt will be leading us through the Gospel of Luke. And this teaching is recorded live at New Life Church in Conway. If you're local and you'd like to join in person, we would love to have you. We meet Thursdays at noon. And we hope this resource helps you as you read along in the book of Luke. And we hope that it encourages you that you can read the Word of God and you can get something out of it. So tune in and we hope you enjoy. We are going to jump back into the Word. I just want to say to you guys, thank you for coming and just having open hearts to receive whatever God is saying to us. Because I really believe that we're in a place where the Bible says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. And I believe every one of us are in this room for one reason, we're hungry. We are hungry for the Word of God. We are hungry to hear His voice for ourselves. We are hungry for truth. And Jesus himself promises if we come with that kind of hunger, we do not have to worry. He is going to fill us. So that's really exciting to me. We're going to jump back into this. One last question I wanted to ask because it was so cool from last week's study. Does anybody remember what the names of both families involved in the story last week, what it all together means? Anybody remember that? You know, I know you didn't memorize it. You might have it on your phone or if you took a note, maybe you didn't. If you didn't, I can read it. Go for it. Yeah, what is Jesus' family? Yes. Jehovah has added to their rebellion salvation, or God has added, Jehovah was the word for God in the Old Testament, has added to their rebellion salvation. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' family purpose literally means forever. From, From the time it was spoken on, from the time these parents gave their kids the names on, they had no idea there was a greater overall purpose God would accomplish through this family. That God would look at you and I, each of us in our rebellion, in our sin and our disobedience and instead of giving us what we deserve what did he give us instead salvation through his son it's so amazing anybody remember elizabeth what's the other dude's name zachariah and john sorry that didn't happen to y'all right anybody remember what their name meant their names um i don't either but i have it right here Let's see. God remembers the oath he has made. God is a gracious giver. So the whole family all together, they mean this. God remembers the oath he made. God is a gracious giver. God has seen their rebellion and to it he has added salvation. God is salvation. And that is Jesus' name. God is salvation. I mean, we could go, go home right there, right? Okay. I just want to set the stage because remember what I talked about last week. My goal in this is not that you come and get my revelation every week, but that you realize God is ready to start speaking to you your own revelation as you are reading his word. Remember I talked about how the Holy Spirit himself is the one who guides us into all truth. I am not the one who guides us into all all truth. That is the Holy Spirit's role. So I want you to know you are not unable to hear the voice of God as you are reading scripture. Sure. 
If you have ever felt like it doesn't make sense to me, it just looks like black and white words on a page. I don't know where I'm at. I'm telling you, God is gonna change that in your life. So every week as we are walking through the word, I'm not just gonna be talking about the text and the stories, but I'm gonna give you little hints, little thoughts of advice of how to approach the word of God as you are reading. One of the most basic things I can tell you is to allow yourself to ask questions as you are reading scripture. Most of us were taught in English class growing up that if we didn't understand something to just keep reading and eventually through context, it would make sense to us. Do y'all remember that in English class way back in the day? Or at least it was way back in my day. Maybe there's something more modern now. But I remember the goal was to read and read quickly. Do you remember timed reading and all that pressure, right? Okay, so I remember feeling like I needed to approach the word of God the same way, right? I needed to read it and read it quickly. And if something didn't make sense, just keep going. And eventually, because of context, I should get the point, right? The problem with scripture is it's not our context. It is written about a different group of people who lived in a different time period than you and I live in. So there's not a context that's just gonna jump off the page and make sense to you and I. And sometimes it's the context that's keeping you and I from understanding what's going on in scripture. So the most simple thing I can tell you is as you read, allow yourself to ask questions about what you do not understand. It's okay to have questions about scripture. I have learned that it is questions that come from the Holy Spirit that God will use to lead me to discover something I've never seen before in scripture. Most of the time when you see Jesus dialogue with someone in scripture, how does he do it? He almost always starts by asking questions, right? We'll even, I don't know if we'll make it to the end of chapter two today, probably not, but Jesus' very first moment where we hear from him, he's in the temple at 12 years old and he is listening to the teachers and asking questions. When God wants to dialogue with you and I, he already knows everything that we think. He's not asking because he doesn't know, but he wants what's in our heart to come to the surface and that happens through questions. So I wanna encourage you, you allow yourself to ask questions about the things that you are reading. The other thing I want to tell you is the word of God to me is like the ocean. Anyone love the beach? Yes. I still don't understand why God did not allow me to be raised on a beach, but I love the ocean. The ocean to me is a metaphor for the word of God because the ocean's for everyone. Babies can play in the ocean. Families can play in the ocean. You can stay along the shoreline and enjoy the ocean from that point of view, or you can go deep sea diving and explore the ocean at its depths. And the reason I wanna say that to you is our ability to explore the ocean to that degree all came from a question. Somebody one day is sitting on a boat or standing on the shore and they're looking at the ocean and they're thinking, man, what's down there? And from that question came research and inventions and tools so that now even the average person can go deep sea diving and see everything that's below the surface, right? Can you imagine the limitation we would have if we didn't know anything about the beauty of the aquatic life that's in the ocean? And I'm saying that to you because other people, men and women of God, have labored for years to bring you and I discoveries and research that we now have access to within a few clicks, within seconds. We don't have to labor for generations like they did. We don't have to inscribe one character after another, making sure we don't make any mistake. We have access through online tools. You don't even have to go to Bible school now. I recommend it, but if you can't do it, it doesn't matter. You can 
can dig into the depths of the word with the tools that we have. So I wanna encourage you, God has made it available to you and I in our generation to discover what is underneath the words that we are reading. Some of you might be like, Rebecca, okay, that's cool. You're, you know, you, you obviously were an English major, which I was, which some of you may be like, that's not me. That's not what I'm into. I don't think of questions when I'm reading. Like, that's for you. That's not for me. But I would go out on a limb to say, all of us probably research something, right? I mean, what do you guys spend time on this little device researching? Typing in, Googling, right? I don't know what it is for you. It could be creative inspiration you're looking for. It could be fashion trends. It could be business ideas. It could be what's going on in politics or the news, God help us all, right? It could be like a number of different topics. And I just feel like God is saying, will you give me just a little bit of the researcher that is in you? We are all curious about something. There's something we hunger for, we want to know. And God is saying, just direct a little bit of it towards me and you'll be amazed at what I show you. Okay, let's get into the text. Y'all okay if I use my computer today? Okay. Um, We're going to just touch base on Zachariah. Zachariah makes a comeback. Go Zachariah, right? Remember, he cannot speak for Elizabeth's entire pregnancy. I want to bring that back up. Elizabeth got to use all of her words. Have y'all heard that women have like over double the words to speak in an average day than a man does? She had a mute husband for her entire pregnancy, and this was her first pregnancy, and she was of advanced maternal age. This is the nice phrase they like to use. That's what I got to hear when I was pregnant both times. If you're pregnant post 35 these days, they're like, you're of advanced maternal age. Basically, you're old, and you're having a baby. So Elizabeth was old, and she was having a baby, undergoing all the hormonal changes, the body shifts. If you've had a baby, you know what I'm talking about, and her husband couldn't say a word. Can you imagine how ready he was to get his voice back? I can't, I mean, I know the scripture doesn't say it and I, I am putting in my own details, but I can only imagine what it was like in their home all throughout her pregnancy. She's like, this is glory. I can say whatever I want and he can't say nothing. Anyway. Okay. So Zachariah didn't have his voice. Um, I do want to stop and say something. I ha- this is, seems like it's off topic, but it's not. I have a friend. Her name is Christy Starling. She is, um, her and her husband lead a church in Oklahoma, Oklahoma. And they went, her family went through COVID. God protected them. It got really serious for her husband and her mom. Hers was less serious, but she has lost her voice for three months now. She was the lead worship leader at their church. She cannot do anything but whisper for three months. So she and I have been keeping in contact. We're praying for her. But will somebody just pray for her really fast? I thought about her when I was thinking about Zachariah today. She has a paralyzed vocal cord. That's what she found out. But her doctor calls it Bell's palsy of the vocal cord, meaning he has no clue when or if it will ever be reversed. So y'all keep praying for her. Okay, Luke chapter one, verses 59. And it happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. Oh, by the way, Elizabeth has baby John. And her neighbors are excited for her, thank God. Because remember what they used to say, she's barren. Apparently God has passed her over. And now they are saying something different. They're celebrating with her. She brings the child to the temple to be presented on the eighth day. And at this moment, if you have a baby boy on the eighth day is not only when they will be circumcised, but when they will officially be given their name. So my question is, why was this the custom of the day? Does anyone know why they would circumcise? Don't y'all love what we get into in Bible study? 
Yes, it was because they were Jews. Okay, so just to give everyone some background so we can all be on the same page, Genesis chapter 17, verses one through 11. I'm not gonna read them all, but I'm gonna give you some background. So anyone inside the nation of Israel was called a Jew, an Israelite, or a Hebrew. Those three words you will hear used to describe that group of people. They are called God's chosen people in the Old Testament. But why are they God's chosen people is really the question we should be asking. 2,000 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, there is a man who is faithful to God in a way no one else had been. His name is Abraham. God comes to him multiple times, and every time God asks him to do something, Abraham obeys in faith, and he does not ask him to do easy things. He asks him to pack up his entire family and leave and go to a place God will show him, and that's all the details he has. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know how long he'll be gone. He doesn't know when he's going to have arrived. All he knows is he's packing up and he's on his way and Abraham does it anyway. Can you imagine being Abraham's wife? We're doing what? And where we're headed? And how are we gonna know when we're getting there? I mean, can you imagine all the things that Sarah and Abraham were talking about? Okay, but every time God showed up and asked Abraham to do something hard and he asked him to do very hard things, Abraham was fully faithful. So in Genesis chapter 17, verses one, it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you you. Skipping down to verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, I want you guys to realize Abraham was faithful to God in his generation. And because of Abraham's faithfulness, God not only blessed Abraham, but he blessed every generation that came after Abraham. Within four generations, the nation of Israel is birthed out of Abraham's direct descendants. The nation of of Israel is Abraham's descendants. The reason they are called God's chosen people is not because they did anything, but the one who started it all stayed faithful to the Lord. And the Lord said, I will bless your descendants forever. I will be their God. I will lead them. I will give them a place to live. No one else could provide for them. I will stay devoted to them even when they are not devoted to me because of your faithfulness, Abraham. So when we talk about Jew versus Gentile, we are talking about Abraham's descendants versus everyone else. I want to say this. Do you realize that your faith now will impact not just your life, not just your life, or even the lives of your children, but the lives of many generations after you? We so underestimate the impact of our faith. In Exodus, God is explaining that he will punish the children 
and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren for the sins of the fathers, but to those who are faithful, he will pass that covenant of love to the thousandth generation, to those who love him and follow him and obey him. Look at the difference between the curse and the blessing. The curse of our disobedience passes to the third and fourth generation, but the promise of our blessing passes to what? thousandth generation. That means you and I don't even realize that we are the products of someone else's faith behind us. And the faith that we are choosing to show God right now is going to produce a blessing that the future generations will walk in. Okay? Do not underestimate the power of following God in your day and in your generation. I don't care what your station is. I don't care what leadership position you have. God's eyes are looking for those whose hearts are completely his, that he may strongly support them. God comes after the unexpected and the passed over every time in scripture, okay? So there are rewards for your faith that you may not even realize. Let's move on. Okay, let's keep going. They were going to call him Zacharias, baby John. They tried to name him Zacharias after his father, verse 60. But his mother answered and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. Can you imagine somebody arguing the birth mother about the name of her baby? Does that tell y'all the cultural difference of the place women had in society? The people, the dudes at the temple were like, he doesn't look like a John. He looks like a Zacharias, right? Okay. I love what Zacharias does. Zacharias asks for a tablet. Remember, he can't speak. And he writes as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosened and began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. What I want to say is fear left Zechariah and instead came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. Why was this the moment Zechariah's voice returned? He obeyed. We knew it wasn't going to happen until John was born, right? But why was this the moment? John was now stating in faith what he formerly doubted in fear. And his voice came back. He didn't write... He sounds like a John. He looks like a John. I like the name John. We prefer John. No, what did he write? His name is John. In other words, you don't get to decide his name. His name already was decided and we're just obeying what God told us. So step off my wife, people, right? At that moment, at his statement of faith, his voice is returned. And out of Zechariah comes this moment of spontaneous worship and praise that has been welling up on the inside of him for nine plus months. And now for the first time, he can shout it aloud for all to hear. It's so similar to Mary's moment of worship and it's powerful. What I want to say before we read it is what fear removed from him, faith restored in him. God has not given us a spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear. That's why the Bible calls it that. But that comes from the enemy. He, however, has given us his Holy Spirit, a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So my question for you and I is, what fear has silenced you? And what statement of faith is God asking you to stand on so that your voice, your courage, and your leadership might be restored? that's what we can learn from Zachariah's moment. We can all be honest and say we've had a moment where we should have spoken in faith and we spoke out fear instead. God is ready to reverse what that is doing in our lives, okay? Who wants to read verses 68 through 79, Zachariah's moment of spontaneous worship? It's awesome. Where's my friend Carrie? Yeah, go for it, Sarah. 
Wow. What a statement. The sunrise from on high will visit us. I just want to encourage you when God does something in your life, stop and take a moment and allow yourself to express out of your mouth the praise that wells up on the inside of you for what he has done. Zachariah had no idea what all was about to come out of him. I think the Holy Spirit moved through him in that moment. There's prophecy in what he said. He's speaking his son's purpose with authority over him at that moment. I mean, I think of the moment where we pray around a mom before she has a baby and we speak blessing over that those children. Can you imagine hearing something like this as he's speaking in prophecy over his son? It's so powerful. But I love that he says to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah had learned a little bit about what it meant to serve God without fear. That's so cool. Chapter two. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. You know, not a small project, right? Can you imagine being on that job task force, whatever? You're going to go and get a census of the entire earth. I'd be like, can I, can I get a different job? Anyway, this was the first census to be taken while Quirinius, I don't know how you say his name, was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Okay, why does Caesar Augustus take a census? Does anyone know why they would ask for censuses? It's a little different than the reason they do it today. Yeah. Could be taxes. Chances are with Caesar, he's not that worried about it. Any other ideas? It's probably why we do it today. Any other ideas? Okay, Caesar Augustus is nearing the end of his reign. He's only going to live for a few, give or take 10 years after this, I think. Um, But he knows he's getting older and he wants to understand the scope of his accomplishments, okay? He turned Rome not into a national leader, but into an empire, meaning they assume control over many countries under his reign. So he's nearing the end of his life and he wants to know like literally how many people fall under my leadership and my control, okay? Luke 2 verse 4. Now Joseph went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. So everybody had to return to their birthplace to register for the census in order to register along with Mary, who was also of the line of David, who was betrothed or engaged to him and was pregnant. I just want to like make a small side note that Mary was an unwed mother. And you know, God intended for it to be that way. It's just amazing to me how God does the unexpected. Anyway, Caesar had his purpose in the census, but God has had his. Because of the census at this exact time, Joseph had to return to the city of his birth, Bethlehem. And while he is there, Mary goes into labor, making this Jesus's birthplace. This had been prophesied 700 years earlier. Where Joseph and Mary were currently living, they were so far from Bethlehem, God had to ordain some sort of event to get them to the place that he prophesied in his word 700 years earlier that his son would be born. And Micah 5.2 says, as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago from the days of eternity. God has a way of causing earthly circumstances, things that can seem so unspiritual, to bring about his purposes at the right time. 
when Joseph returned to Bethlehem at this moment, he had no idea it was because of the timing of God and the location that God had ordained. But God used the decree of a carnal, godless ruler to bring about his plan and his purpose. God is not limited by the decisions of ungodly leaders. He can make them serve his purposes, whether they realize it or not. In Psalms, it says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And as Isaiah prophesied last week, when Jesus came, his kingdom and his government, there would be no end, okay? It's so cool to see. Man can do what man wants to do, but God will still cause his purpose and his plan to go forth no matter. Okay, Luke 2 verse 6, while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I used to think that meant like all of the hotel owners were like cruel and they're like, get out of here. We don't have any room for you pregnant lady. That is not what it meant. Joseph and Mary had been there for a while. So more than likely they had a lodging place. Think of it as like a bed and breakfast. When it says there was no room for them in the inn, it meant there was no place for her to give birth where they were staying. Okay, the best place she could think of, they didn't have rollaway cribs like you can get in the hotel these days. Anyone had to have one of those? I have. They didn't provide things like that. They're staying at like a bed and breakfast. And the best place she can think of to lay her son, there's no crib, there's no bassinet, is the place where they fed the animals, which was like on the front side because most people traveled by animal. So they had to have a way for the animals to stay near them. There wasn't like cars parked out front, right? So they would have these little food troughs on the front part of the house where the animal would be fed so the animal could stay there for the night. And that is the only thing she could think of to use for his bassinet. Does that make sense? Why would a king be born in a circumstance like this? Any thoughts? I mean, it's God's son, right? Think about everything uh, a man, a husband and a wife do in preparation for their first child. I mean, I don't know about you, but things changed around my house. That nesting thing is like serious. Like the last three months, I'm all of a sudden like a construction worker and I'm like drilling into the walls and like changing things around. My husband's like, what are we doing tonight? I'm like, we have more furniture to put together. If you've ever had a child, you know what I'm talking about, right? But Mary's in a place that she doesn't belong. It's not where her home is. She's making the best of it. Why is this the situation God would deliver his son? To make him accessible, that's such a great way to say it. Any other thoughts? An adaptable spirit? Yes. Anything else? To fulfill prophecy? Yes. I believe, like, this type of scenario is more the scenario that would happen for a servant being born or a slave being born, not the owner of the house, right? Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 that he did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, he said this when he was breaking up his disciples who frequently fought over who was the best. That doesn't sound like any guy you and I know, right? Anyway, sorry, I'm sidetracking. But my point is that Jesus was trying to explain that in his kingdom, the rules are different. He has an upside down kingdom. In the kingdom of man, you step on people to make your way to the top. But in the kingdom of God, those who want to be the greatest must make themselves the lowest. 
those who, I guess no one wants to be last, but basically if you want to be last, then just make yourself the best and you'll get to be last in the kingdom of God, okay? So my point is Jesus came in the form of a servant, even in the circumstances of his birth, to show how far God was willing to stoop to rescue all of humanity, which is really powerful. So my question is, do we want, are we willing to set aside our own comfort to follow Jesus? to let go of something we think we deserve for what he desires instead. Do we want to serve or be served? In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were what? Terribly frightened, right? This is like, if you were here last week, it's like every time an angel shows up, what do people do? Freak out. I mean, I, can't, I do not know what's going to happen when we see the glory of God one day, right? We think it's going to be awesome, but obviously there's going to be some fear involved. Okay, so they freak out. The angel shows up. Who thinks it's Gabriel? I do, but I don't have a way to prove it. It may not be Gabriel, but I mean, he's had a lot of assignments lately. Okay, but the angel says, do not be afraid. For behold, here's our verse. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. That is what Jesus is. To every person living on the face of the earth, he is good news of great joy for all people. There is not a person on the planet that Jesus is not good news for. Their hearts may be hardened. They may not be ready to receive him, which is where you and I come in to intercede that God would soften their heart and make them ready. But Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. They finally get a sign. Why did they get a sign? Because they're actually told to go look for him. So they have to actually have a sign. You will find a baby in claws lying in a manger. I'm always wondering what happened. Did Did the shepherds just go to bed? Bethlehem and start like asking around like have y'all seen like a pregnant unwed mother that like had a baby in an animal feed trough and they're like oh yes we have she is over here I don't know how he made it but they made it there and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward man okay how many of you have seen the nativity scenes and you imagine this moment the shepherds are in the in the fields they're on night watch I love that God decides to give them his announcement. This is like the road construction workers that have to work through the night in our day, okay? These are blue collar workers. They are not considered high class in this society. They do grunt work. Their jobs are hard. They don't get a lot of pay. They're working through the night and they're the ones that God shows up to out of the entire nation to give them personally his announcement that his son had been born. Isn't that amazing? God always chooses the most unexpected. He doesn't go to the church leader. He doesn't go to the wealthy. He doesn't go to the leaders of that society. He goes to a group of shepherds, which is amazing. It's called, uh, the angels show up and they are called a multitude of heavenly hosts. Does anybody know what heavenly hosts means? Some of your translations may say it. It's a host of angels, right? Yes, I always thought it was like a choir in choir robes in the sky, okay? And if you've ever watched a Christmas play, it probably looked like that, right? This isn't a choir, this is an army that appears in the sky, 
okay? They are dressed in battle array. That is what that word host means. This is an army ready for battle. And they are the ones singing worship about who Jesus is to these shepherds. I'm saying that to you because I want you to know every time you lift your voice in praise to the Lord that you are dressing yourself for warfare. You may not realize what your worship is accomplishing, but as you allow the truth of God to come out of you, the enemy cannot penetrate that environment, okay? Moving on, worship is warfare. Okay, when the angel had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. Can you imagine? Which the Lord has made known to us. They came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Here we have the very first evangelist spreading the news of Jesus all throughout Israel. And who is it? Shepherds. Mary treasured all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as been told them. Okay, why is this the place that God is going to give the announcement that his son is being born? Shepherd, why is that important? Jesus is called the good shepherd. Why else? Does anybody else know what has happened in these very fields? Okay. Last week, we talked about how the meaning of names are very significant in scripture. This week, I want to tell you that the meaning of places is very significant in scripture. All that happens throughout the Bible happens within about 400 square miles. Okay, so knowing what else took place in the place you are reading about will give you more significance to that exact place. Do you remember any other shepherd in the Bible that, some, that got passed over by his family but chosen by God? David. He was a shepherd boy who became king, right? Anybody know where David lived? Bethlehem. When God spoke to prophet Samuel and said, go to Bethlehem, I have rejected Saul, the current king, and I have chosen another king. He is a man after my own heart. Go to Bethlehem. It's one of Jesse's sons, right? Did they even call David in from the field? What was David doing in that moment when Samuel showed up to anoint someone to be king? He was watching the sheep out in the fields in Bethlehem. That is where David established his relationship with the Lord. That is where David began to write worship songs to the Lord in those fields all by himself watching a bunch of sheep. God watched the heart of David being formed for him while no one else was paying attention. And it happened while he was alone in fields watching sheep. He began to write songs to the Lord. He began to declare that his battles he was winning, you know, he was able to overcome a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. And he said that God gave him the strength to do that. David developed a heart after the Lord in those fields. And God returns 700, 1,000 years later to the very same fields to men of the same profession to give them the announcement of his son's birth. That is so cool, isn't it? David's field of faith became the place that God returned to bless the new generation. What is your field of faith? What's your field of faith? What's the place where God is asking you to develop a relationship with him, to spend time in worship with him while no one else is paying attention so that God can return generations later and bless a future generation because you found him in that place. You know, we talk about in Christianity that we will build altars, places where we remember we encountered the Lord, but I think we fail to realize God himself builds altars. He remembers a place he encountered us and he goes back to that place to bless the next generation. 
Okay, so a king who was birthed also in a humble place, a king, Jesus, who would then come and slay giants that no one else dared to confront, just like David. And this king was not just a man after God's heart, but a man with his heart, Jesus, the king of Israel. Okay, when eight days were completed, so it was time for his circumcision, he was also named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, I'm gonna just skip that. Okay, firstborn boys were not only to be circumcised, but the parents had to also give an additional sacrifice and an offering that represented dedicating them to the Lord. There was a general rule that applied to all areas of life within Israel, and that is the first belongs to the Lord. It applied to every area. The first represented the best, the top priority, the first to get honor. So in the area of finance, it's what we know of as the the tithe. In giving the first of our time, it's what's represented by what? Giving God the first of our day, getting up and giving him our attention before we give it to anyone else. And with children, firstborn boys were considered belonging to the Lord. Samuel, John the Baptist, Jesus, these were all firstborn males, totally dedicated to the Lord from their birth. So my question is, do we give God the first of all we have? Another way to say it is, is there an area that we're not giving him our first, that he would like to get the first? Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is so significant. This is before the Holy Spirit is given to indwell us because the covering for our sin had not been made yet. And yet the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon. He's older, he's devout, he's staying faithful to the Lord. So look at what he says. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, meaning God told him to go at that moment, so he goes. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said this, now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which was a big deal because that part of God's plan had not been revealed yet and the glory of your people Israel his father and mother that would be Joseph and Mary were amazed at the things being said about Jesus and Simeon blessed them and he said to his mother Mary behold this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel pay attention to that phrase every time God shows up that's what it means for people it will be the fall of some and the rise of others it all depends on how much humility is going on for the prideful it will be their fall for the humble it will be their rising okay thank y'all a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon tells Mary that being Jesus's mom is not just a blessing, but a calling because there will be a lot of pain involved. Mary is the only person present for both his birth and his death. I believe Simeon's words of prophecy to Mary in this moment echoed throughout her heart to give her endurance to make it to the end. 
and it doesn't take long. I'm not saying that our ability of being a mom is anything compared to Mary's, okay? But it doesn't take very long being a mom before you realize being a mom is not just a blessing, but it is a calling. And God has the ability to speak a word into our spirit that will give us the strength to endure. Endurance is an underspoken characteristic in the body of Christ. We have got to learn to endure. Verse 36, I'm going to end on Anna. There was a prophetess named Anna. This is so significant for many reasons. She's called a prophetess. Prophetess. What does that mean? Right, it's not a trick question. Everybody's like, should we answer? Is she going to tell us we're wrong? Okay, she's a woman that's a prophet, okay? It may, it's significant on many levels. She's a woman that's a prophet. There's not many of those mentioned in the Bible. And she is called a prophetess at a time where they have been under 400 years of silence, where there was no national prophet speaking the word of the Lord to Israel. And yet this woman was hearing the voice of God so much so they called her a prophetess. Okay, we cannot underestimate what God wants to do with anyone who stays devoted to to him, regardless of their gender, regardless of what's happening, what status quo. She's called a prophetess at a time when there are no prophets. Why? Because she stays devoted to the Lord. God has giftings for each one of you and you do not have to pay attention to what's going on around you to know if you are qualified to be used by God. Stay devoted to him and God will pour his spirit out upon you, okay? Um, She lived with her husband for seven years and then was a widow to the age of 84. I misread that last week and thought it was seven years plus 84 and I'm like, she's like 90 something and plus whenever she got married, she's like 106 years old when this happened. She wasn't, she was 84. Okay, but still, she's an older lady. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So again, Anna comes up and confirms. Can you imagine this? A couple walks in our church. They have a newborn baby in their arms. And all of a sudden, God tells you, that is the son of God. That's what this is like. So she has a connection with the Holy Spirit. Where out of everyone that's walking through the temple that day, she sees Mary and Joseph and knows they aren't just happy parents, but there is something different about that child. That is how clearly she was hearing the voice of God. But I want to draw your attention to something. Uh, Anna and Simeon are both very old, but they were devout to the Lord and they were hearing his voice and they both confirmed Jesus's birth. And then Mary and Joseph are much younger. And then we have Jesus and baby John. All the generations are represented in the story of Jesus's birth. God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My point in saying it is when God gets ready to do something, he wants all generations to be a part of it. If there is a generation that is missing, there is an aspect of God that will not be reflected accurately because that generation has it upon themselves to reveal a certain part of God that the other generations do not, okay? So, so often we expect God to move in a certain way with a certain group of people of a certain age or of a certain gender. God does not think that way. And when we see what God does in scripture, we see he makes a way to bring everyone to the table. We're not even going to get into the wise men because that's in Matthew, but they are fascinating people. They are king makers that come from Gentile nations to confirm that Jesus is king. So God didn't even just tell people within the nation of Israel, his chosen people. He even went outside the nation to other races to confirm that his son was in fact the king. 
okay? So I wanna ask you, do you have people ahead and behind you that you share God's word with, that you learn from, that you teach or pray with or mentor or serve or celebrate? If you do not have women ahead of you and women behind you, can I encourage you to start to ask the Lord for that? Even if it's one, one woman ahead of you, one woman behind you. Um, and I'm, I'm so over time, but I'm gonna just say this last thing. I don't have time to get to Jesus in the temple at 12 years old, but I do wanna say the first time we hear his voice is in that story. The first time we hear Jesus himself speak in scripture, he says, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? So by the time he's 12 years old, he already knows who his father is and where he needs to be. So I just think it's really cool. I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. We thank you that there's life found in these pages that you reveal yourself to us. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would open all of our eyes to continue to see wonderful things in this book, Father, that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we would obey you quickly in faith, not in fear, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.